Corinthians chapter 12. And believe me, I've, my message is going to be titled, <laughs> Who is this man called Jesus? So this is just a brief, just a brief little uh, rabbit trail. Okay. Okay, so let's, we're in verse 12. Let's uh, go to 7, verse 7. Paul says, unless I should be exalted above measure, and he would be exalted for what he said in verse 1, okay? It's not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory, for I will come to uh, visions and revelations in the Lord. People who knew Paul, who walked with Paul and talked with Paul and read his works, uh, they knew that Paul was actually getting man-to-man the revelations from the Lord Jesus Christ started on the road to Damascus and all through his life he was getting those revelations what was the Lord doing he was telling him what he's supposed to tell us because if we're supposed to follow him okay he's got to know what we're supposed to do so it just makes sense let me turn this off that's a neat noise okay so lest he should be exalted okay uh, through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me, it's a gift. Notice it's a, he considers it a gift. We wouldn't. Uh, maybe we would now, but, okay, I'm looking at Paul back here. Now, Paul's 91 now? You just, you just had your 91st birthday, was that it, Paul, I think? Yeah. And, and he's almost blind, but I don't believe Paul prays to have his blindness removed. He's matured. He's been in God's word so many years. He understands the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in him. He understands that, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He understands he's got that doctrine resident in his heart. But anyway, Paul didn't. The guy we're supposed to listen to, he didn't have that. He prayed three times, thrice, that a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, uh, he wanted to have it removed. Let me just cut to it, because I want to get to my message. He wanted to have it removed. Well, he didn't, he got, didn't get the answer that he wanted. You know, Rick's taught this before multiple times. He didn't get the answer, okay, Paul, I'm going to take the thorn away from you. He says, he said unto Paul, thrice, my grace is sufficient for you. See, and that's what our apostle, who didn't know what to pray for as he ought, learned there in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 12. Okay? Now, he didn't put that into effect right away if you study his writings. But soon after, like Nick said, if you look at his prayers with one possible exception, and I don't think it's an exception, all of his prayers were for others, for wisdom, for knowledge, for understanding, uh, nothing else for physical stuff. Uh, at the end of Paul's ministry, Nick went to the verse where Trophimus have I left in my leadum. Sick. He was sick. Earlier on, Paul would have tried to heal him. He had the power from the Lord Jesus Christ to heal. But he couldn't do it anymore. Okay? 
in that same book, which by the way, as most of us know, is the last book written in Scripture, okay, in Second, you don't have to go there, in Second Timothy 2.7, Paul says, consider what I say, and the Lord give the understanding in all things, okay? So, Paul had understanding toward the end of his life, toward the end of the writing of the Bible, he had understanding of all things, which meant he knew what to pray for as he ought. He knew that. He hadn't known it. He was just like us. We can know it too. But Paul, heaven's sakes, we're supposed to follow him. Don't you suppose he knows everything the Lord Jesus Christ wanted us to know? Otherwise, why would he pick him for us to follow? Anyway, that's my rabbit trail. I really, I really just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so who is this man called Jesus? We're going to get to, the, to my message. Before we enter, mainly because Nick's back there and he'll squeal on me if I don't, let's have a little prayer. <laughs> That was the gist. If you weren't here, that was the gist of his message. (laughs) Father, we thank you for another opportunity to enter into your word and your words and to learn more about you and especially about your precious son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ who died for us so we could live forever with him. Teach us through your spirit, through your word about him and about his selfless and wondrous love for us. Amen. Please, if you would, turn to Psalms 119. Those of you who've uh, endured my teaching before (laughs) know that I go go to the Psalms at the beginning a lot, okay? And the last time I, I taught, I... I start at 119.105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And that's one that, I mean, my gosh, that's just one for every dispensation, for every Christian that ever lived. And the other one that, that I uh, learned something new about was uh, 130, Psalms 119.130. Is everybody there? 130. The entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple. I've known that short verse for years now, but it was just recently that I realized that I didn't understand it completely. Actually, another thing has hit me lately. I don't fully understand probably any verse in the Bible. For those of us who have studied, now I've studied for 19 years, okay? I didn't become a Christian until 19 years ago. And I tried to make up for lost time. But anyway, for, for those of us that study on a regular basis, it's just unbelievable how a simple little verse can show new light 10 years later that you didn't, you didn't see before. Now, most of you probably reached that on this verse that I just recently reached within the last year or so. 
Anyway. God's words, I looked up the word nuanced. I think they're nuanced, which it means they have subtle differences or shades of meaning. Okay, now let's look at it again. The entrance of thy words, plural words, giveth light. It, notice the it. It giveth understanding unto the simple. Well, in the past, I always thought that this, what, by the way, I don't know who wrote this. I thought, you know, probably David, so I looked and I had one Bible that said Ezra wrote it. So then I went online and looked and it says it's about 50-50, about just under 50% think David, just under 50% think Ezra, and some people think Daniel, so it's probably Daniel. But anyway, whoever wrote it, <laughs> and I, that's irrelevant, God wrote it, that's the main thing. Okay. Um, whoever wrote it got the little nuance in there, the it. Because if you notice, words, I thought it was the words, okay, that, that brought understanding to the simple. I thought it was the words. But it's not the words. The it is singular. So it has to rever refer to a noun that is singular, and it refers to entrance, okay? It, the entrance to thy word, give us understanding to the simple and if you ask Bev back there she'll point out a simple person to you okay I gotta throw you in there <laughs> anyway it's just one of those little things that you that you just catch and you go thank you Lord you know for a new understanding we've got a but Bev's, Bev had an aunt that about probably 25 years ago passed away, and just before she died, she gave us her leather-bound, white, I think it's six or seven-pound King James Bible, and it sits right in the middle of our coffee table. Well, I can sit down there, and I can have my muffin and drink my coffee and listen to the radio, and I don't get any understanding from that Bible sitting there. I've got to enter into it. I've got to get into that thing, and I've got to read it. So that's why I'm so grateful. What was it, about a year, not a year or so ago when Jim Lawrence gave that message on the importance of reading, okay? Because I wasn't a reader so much. I was more, I, I find it difficult to read because I end up marking and writing notes and references and all that, but but he, he impressed on me that that's important, too. It's important to study, to, to dig into God's Word. But it's also important to read, to get the flow of things. And, and I'm so glad that, uh, for that message that he gave. Okay, so hold on to Psalms 119 and go to Galatians 4, please. Galatians chapter 4. When you look at the Psalms, uh, especially Psalm 119, whether it's Ezra or David or whoever wrote it, okay, 
that was written to the nation Israel. And it was written for th their instruction through the ages and even through the Lord Jesus Christ's life on earth. But that wasn't the primary purpose. Prim primary purpose for the book of Psalms is for Israel during the tribulation, to get them through the tribulation. It wasn't written to us. There's there aren't any, I don't believe there's a Jew in this, con this, uh, this assembly. We're all Gentiles, okay? We were far off, the Bible says. There was a middle wall of partition between us and God's people, Israel. We weren't included, okay? Galatians 4. Something wonderful happened, though. Galatians 4. Let's go to verse 4. Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of time was come, isn't that beautiful, fullness of time? And if you want to know what it is, it's in the very, the very next five words. God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem Gentiles? No. To redeem them that were under the law. It's not us, but, okay, and remember, uh, Pastor Rick tells us how important the buts are in the Bible, okay, and, but remember that we might receive the adoption of sons, that's why, that's why Christ went to the cross and died for us, not just for Israel, but so everyone could re receive redemption through his sacrifice on the cross. Remember, even though it wasn't, it was hidden in Scripture, remember, Abraham, okay, you don't have to go there, but in Genesis 12, 3, the Lord told Abraham that in him he was going to make a great nation, and that through that great nation, Israel, not just Israel, but rather all families of the earth should be blessed. That's us, okay? So when we read the Psalms now, okay, even though they weren't written directly to us, they're certainly for us, okay? And that's just part of God's beautiful mystery program. In Romans 16, 25, you know, it talks about how a Christian gets stabilized. Actually, the whole book of Romans is how a Christian gets stabilized. It, it's amazing how when people just trust Christ and become part of the family of God, become Christians, it's amazing how they're told to read the book of John or to start in the book of Genesis. I tell them, start where you got your gospel. You got your gospel from the book of Romans. You got your gospel from the Apostle Paul. He's the one that told you that God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, you know. So, uh, anyway, uh, I go with my anyways again. I think that's three. I try, not to, I try not to do that. So, look at John chapter 1. Keep... Oh, go to, go to Revelation 19 also. Revelation 19 and John chapter 1. We're going to get 
to who is this man Christ, uh, who is this man called Jesus? Revelation 19 and John chapter 1. Gosh. Nick, that clock goes fast. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go through these fairly quickly. John 1 1. Okay. In the beginning was the Word. Notice it's capital W. And the Word was with God, capital W again, and the Word was God, capital W again. If anybody has a Bible that doesn't have the capital W, let me know, okay? Because you know what Rick was talking last week. Now that they, most Bibles aren't, don't have any kind of a copyright from the crown, they can change them any way they want to. But I, hopefully all of them still have capital uh, letters. And if you drop down to verse 14, you'll see, and the word became flesh, and the word's capitalized again. I did a little study on that, and there are only seven places in Scripture where word is capitalized, okay? There's only one where the word of God is capitalized, and that is in Revelation 19. Let's go there. Revelation 19. I think you'll all be familiar with this. And let's start in verse 11. I'm just going to read three verses right now. I saw heaven open, John wrote, and behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. Notice the capitals there, too. There, who's this man called Jesus? The Bible says he's one of his names is faithful and one of them is true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture. Remember that word vesture. Dipped in blood. And his name is called what? The Word of God. Capital W again. Let's see, 48 times in Scripture, Word of God is mentioned. That exact, that exact phrase. That's the only time the W is capitalized right there. So again, you're going to get tired of me saying this, who is this man called Jesus? One way to discover who he is is just listen to me today. If you're a normal audience... Maybe you might remember one or two things I say a week from now. Maybe. That's just, there's just a chance of that. It's like, like Nick, the, the idea of, is like with yours. We'll remember that you focused on prayer. You know what I mean? The details we probably won't remember, but we'll remember that you focused on prayer and its importance and how our apostle didn't give a lot of instructions because he didn't learn this till late in his life and ministry. But he did learn to pray for inner man things and not for outward man things. He did learn that. He did communicate that, especially beginning in his prison epistles, almost exclusively. Uh, almost exclusively. There's, like, an, like I said, an exception or two in there. Anyway, you could listen to me 
But there's another thing that you could do. You could listen to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, don't get ready to call for a padded cell for me, okay? So this is just pretend, okay? <laughs> so I say, okay, Jesus, how else can we learn about you? And he says unto me, Joe, the way you can do that is believe what I said in Romans chapter 8. No, 5. 5. It's chapter 5. Well, let me just tell you the verse. You all know it. He said, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they, the scriptures, are they the words of life that speak of me. That's, that's how you learn who he is. You pick up the book, you enter into the book, and you read, and you learn. Skipping a bunch of stuff here. Go to John 14, if you're not already there. I don't even know where you are because I've skipped like three pages. And Psalms chapter 12. I actually made, <laughs> Nick, you'll get a kick out of this too. You know, just in case Nick got sick or had a flat tire. And I thought about me having a flat tire. And I also thought about calling him and saying I have a flat tire and lying to him. And I thought about it, but, <laughs> but I didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I got enough stuff here, <laughs> and you did too, <laughs> just in case. <laughs> well, that, maybe, that's, maybe that's the wisdom <laughs> that finally you get. Okay. Okay, so when I ask who is this man called Jesus, I, I could argue that probably the greatest title is the one we just said. He's the Word of God. Now, I mean, I... There are an awful lot of other titles that are great, too. So, Anyway, I have a reason for doing that. In Philippians 2.10, our Apostle Paul said that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. Okay? And in Psalms, I think it's 138. Yeah, 138.2, David writes... Thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. So no matter, I will never get close to teaching every name that Jesus is called by today. It's impossible. Uh, didn't, didn't John, let's see, in the last, in the last uh, verse in the book of John, uh, well, I just, let's just flip there. See what he said about it. It's John 21. John 21 in the last verse, 25. I still hear a, I still hear a page or two. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which... If they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. As far as the works he did or the names he went by, 
there are literally thousands. You cannot, it's almost impossible to read, especially in the New Testament, something that doesn't have a reference to a title or name or attribute or characteristic of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you've probably heard it before, but history is his story. From Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? And then Revelation 22-21, which is the last verse in the Bible, Revelation 22-21, I can't quote it exactly, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. So, the first one's about the creator Jesus Christ, and the last verse in the Bible is about the gracious God, our Lord Jesus Christ. I think I said John 14 and John, and uh, yeah, let's go there and verse 23, John 14, verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, plural, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Question. How can anyone keep Christ's words? Now, you could memorize them all. I don't know if that's possible or not, but I suppose you could keep them by memorizing them all. But other than that, you got to have a copy. You got to have you got to have the words in front of you. Okay? If God Okay, okay, go to Psalms 12. Psalms 12. And we'll just see what God says about his words, okay? Psalms 12, you know where I'm going. A lot of you do. Psalms 12, verse 6. The words of the Lord, and notice the plural again, the words. There's the word of God, which is the Bible. And there are the words of God. That's everything that proceeded out of his mouth or his spirit. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shall keep them. Thou, sh oh, oh, Lord, excuse me. Thou shall keep them, O Lord. Thou shall preserve them from this generation forever. Years ago, a, a Bible genius came up with the uh, this little, uh, being sarcastic here. Came up with the expression, "God said it. I believe it, so it must be true." Now we all know that if God said it, it's true whether we believe it or not. And that's, and that's, God promised he'd preserve his word. He said it. Take it to the bank. It's a done deal. He'll, he, he has done it. He not will do it. He's done it. He's preserved it. And he'll continue to preserve his word. If you're here today and you don't know uh, that you have God's preserved word. You're just like all of us used to be. We all used to be in that boat. Nobody. It's up to you then to find it. Okay? Seek and you shall find. 
one of my favorite verses, and it ends up like every verse in the scripture being true, is in Hebrews 11:6, where the author says that God's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That word diligent, there's another key word in there. A lot of people seek him, seek truth, but to know you've got God's word in your hand and know, to be able to separate it from the other versions or perversions, depending on your, the way you look at it, uh, you've got to diligently search because the answer's there. The answer's there. I, this is another rabbit trail, but I, when I took manuscript evidence at Grace School of the Bible, from Grace School of the Bible several years ago, uh, we studied the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, and I believe it was 1950 when they, when they actually made that. Uh, and one, the, one of the guys that was the instigators of that particular Bible, plus he had a part in the NIV as well, okay, was a guy named Frank Logsdon, L-O-G-S-D-O-N. If you Google that sometime, uh, he, he was very active in promoting that Bible and even helped the publisher to promote it. And then he was seeking truth diligently, and he found out he had, he had been wrong. And he had this, he has got a statement, a confession that you call it, he confesses of what evil he's done, and he traveled around trying to undo what he'd, what he'd done, you know. But of course, he's ridiculed by most people for that. Get Genesis 3 and Galatians chapter 3, please. Genesis 3 and verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It, her seed, shall bruise thy head, and thou, that's Satan the serpent, shall bruise his heel. Again, who's this man called Jesus? Christ is the seed of the woman who will bruise Satan's head. He's the seed whose heel will be bruised in the process of doing so. And there's no doubt that the seed is Jesus Christ. If you flip to Galatians 3.16, last week Rick talked about the, th the 3.16s. Galatians 3.16, and you'll see that there's no doubt in the world that who the seed is. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Gosh, I'm doing it again. I'm skipping everything here. I'm skipping off. Okay. I'm just going to, I'm going to just give you uh, some ideas of who this man called Jesus is. I don't know if any of you ever listened to the music of Bill and Gloria Gaither, the Gaithers, but uh, there's a lot of uplifting uh, music there. Uh, not everything that they sing is, uh, yeah, is uh, dispensationally correct. In fact, I would say probably most of it isn't. But, uh, but anyway, 
in 2005, the two of them wrote a song called He is Jehovah. In it, they correctly called him by several of his names. Who's Jesus? He's the God of creation. He's the Lord God Almighty. He's the Rock of Ages. He's the God that healeth thee. He's the God of Abraham. He's Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. He's the God of Israel. He's the everlasting one. Again, he is Jehovah. Now, a new couple, I won't embarrass you. I'll just say that Ron and Sarah came in. And please know I'm joking, okay, when I say this. But we, you got into a church where we are witnesses of Jehovah, okay? But we're not Jehovah's witnesses. Now, does that make sense? We know who the true Jehovah is, okay? And they don't. And it's sad for them because they're good people. I mean, they're, they're, they're good people. They live good lives. And, and uh, I have neighbors that are, he's a, a, I don't know what you call him, pastor or teacher, Jehovah's Witness, our next-door neighbors. But uh, sadly, they don't know who Jehovah is. In Genesis 15.1, I'm just going to say these for if anybody would happen to be online that wanted to know. I'm going to go so fast on these that I don't think you'll be able to write them down. In Genesis 15.1, he's Abraham's shield and his exceeding great reward. In Exodus 3.14, he is I am that I am. In Psalm 68.18, he's the Lord God. In Isaiah 12.2, he's the Lord God Jehovah. In Genesis 2.4, he's the Lord the Creator. In Psalms 84.8, he's the Lord God of hosts. In Psalms 7.17, he's the Lord Most High. In Isaiah 42.13, he's the Lord who is mighty. In Psalms 95.6, he's the Lord our Maker. In Genesis 22.14, he's the Lord who will provide. In Exodus 20, verse 5. He's the Lord who is jealous. I'm a jealous God, he said. In Exodus 31, 13, he's the Lord who sanctifies. Wow. And uh, that's, he makes saints out of sinners. That's amazing. In Exodus 17, 15, he's the Lord, my banner. In Matthew 12, 21, excuse me, 1, 21, he's the Lord Jesus Christ, the anointed, the anointed Savior. We all know Psalms 23, 1. If you've been to any funerals, <laughs> yeah, almost every, almost every one. In Psalms 23, 1, he's the Lord, my shepherd. Yeah. In Judges 6, 24, he's the Lord who is our peace. In Exodus 48, 35, he is the omnipresent Lord. In Judges 11.27, he's the Lord who is judge. In Revelation 22.13, he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. In Psalms 19.4, he's my strength and my redeemer. In Jeremiah 23.6, he's the Lord our righteousness. That's just some, some of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. 
I'm going to wrap it up here. It's, I, it's going to take me a little bit of time. I hope you bear with me. Let's go to Matthew 28 and Isaiah 50, please. Matthew 28 and Isaiah 50. I'm going to try to read really fast. If you follow along with me, uh, if you would. Matthew 28, and we're going to get to verse 33. Start in verse 33. <clears throat> uh, I'm sorry, what did I say? Okay, Matthew. I just said that, didn't I? I meant Isaiah. Of course I did. Everybody knows that. <laughs> okay. And actually, I actually. Uh, let me see. I confused myself here. Remember, this isn't the first team. <laughs> okay. 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 So this must be Isaiah. It's not Isaiah 28. Okay, I'm going to read a passage, and if you can tell me where it's from, I'll go along with you. Okay? Okay. Here you go. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of the skull. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's that type, typing skill. Hold on, just a little notation here. <laughs> so I don't do it again. Okay. Okay, and when they, when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, which is to say a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture, there's that word vesture again, did they cast lots. I looked it up, and I, I think vesture, I think it, it's related to vest, I think. It's, it's obviously a garment, a piece of clothing, but it's one that is worn so that the outside, the good side of it, is kind of highlighted, okay? Uh, I couldn't find a, a concrete definition, but... And sitting down, they watched him there and set up over his head his accusation, accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Not one of those people sitting there believed that inscription. They were mocking him. So that was what they mocked him with those words. That's the censored version of what happened to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For the uncensored version, go to Isaiah 50. Isaiah 50. And we're just going to read one verse there, and then we're going to go to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 50 and verse 6. Christ said, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. 
They beat him. They plucked off his hair. And we know it was from his beard, probably from his head too. And they spit on him. Now look at Isaiah 53. We're going to start in verse 3. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the inequity of us all. That's the Lord God the Father laying on the Lord Jesus Christ. The inequity, our sins. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That was, that was promised, that was prophesied way back in Isaiah. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. Why? For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. There's the father again. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, and he shall bear their iniquities. We see Jesus as a man of sorrow here. He'll never be a man of sorrow again. He'll never be smitten. He'll never be spat upon. Never again. think what he did for us what God the Father did for us too because of time I'm going to read I'm just going to read don't go there 2nd Corinthians 8 9 for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor that ye through his poverty might be rich in Hebrews 12 2 the writer says for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross Folks, if there's anybody listening, on, listening online or listens on YouTube some later date or anybody sitting here that has never trusted Christ, it's the simplest thing you could possibly do. And to not do so would be the dumbest thing you could ever do. Um, all you have to do is realize that you're a sinner that there's nothing you can do 
to gain salvation. To spend eternity with a perfect God, you have to be perfect. But you can't be perfect. So Jesus Christ imputes his perfection, his righteousness to you if you just trust what he did on that cross. Just believe him. We don't have any kind of a procedure where you walk an aisle or you say a prayer. Uh, you, don't, you don't do anything. You just trust. It's a heart thing. You believe in your heart. And uh, Anyway, so if you're online and you're listening uh, and you've never trusted what Christ did for you on the cross, never trusted that he died for your sins, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. I ask you to do so now. It will be the best decision you ever made in your life. Okay. And uh, Anyway, I'm going to close with a poem and a prayer. I looked up the, I looked up the, tried to find the author of this poem, and I think he or she probably remained anonymous on purpose. Uh, it's called The Lion and the Lamb. Uh, for Bible studiers, you know, that, that phrase doesn't appear in the Bible. Okay, But, uh, okay, the lion and the lamb. So for the last time, I'm going to ask, who is this man called Jesus? Who is he? Who's the mightiest of all? Who is he? Creation trembles at his call. Who is he? A lowly sacrifice. Who is he who paid the victim's price? He's Jesus from the Father's own right hand. He's Jesus, Son of God and Son of Man. Jesus who died and rose again. Jesus, he's the Lion and the Lamb. Who is he with power none can tame? Who is he that devils fear his name? Who is he that was humbly led away to the cross on that dark and dreary day? Should have been our cross. He's the lion and the lamb. He's the lamb who was slain. The lion who will reign. He's the savior and the king. And Jesus is his name. Who is he with eyes that burn like fire? Who is he? Oh, the wonders he inspires. Who is he who bore the guilt and shame for all of us who call upon his name? Yes, he is Jesus. From the Father's own right hand, Jesus, Son of God, and Jesus, Son of Man. Jesus Christ, the great I am, Jesus Christ, the Lion and the Lamb. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your attention, and, uh, and uh, come back next week, and uh, the real guy will be here, but uh, it's been an honor for Nick and me to to stand up here and try to represent the Lord in front of you. We thank you, and, and we will pray for you. Nick, we're going to pray for each other. I'm going to resolve that today. So thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.